Most of us know what a paradigm is. A paradigm is simply a shift in perspective. When we begin to talk about the kingdom of God, we can talk about the kingdom of God through the lens of agriculture. And we preach on the fig tree or the vineyard or the fields. We can also take the kingdom of God and we can look at it through the lens of military. And we talk about wars and kings and battles and strategy and, and, and all that's connected with military. We can take in regard to the kingdom of God and look at it through the lens of economy. And when we do that, we, we talk about possessions, we talk about talents, uh, we talk about giving, we talk about stewardship. So this morning, I want you in your mind's view, I want you to look with me at the kingdom of God, the church that God has, has brought together, I want you to look with me through the lens of the bride of Christ. See, God has always had a plan. From the beginning of creation, God's plan was to create a human race that would establish a family for himself and secure a bride for his son. And in between the angels and the demons, God has created this family and he is wooing them and loving them and, and encouraging them to become a part of what we know as the bride of Christ, as the church. Now, if you've ever been to a wedding, if you've ever been a bride, I have to tell you, brides are beautiful. And uh, I have some pictures of some brides that you may recognize from years past. So what I want to do is, as the first one goes up on the screen, if you know who it is, just tell me. Who is this? Who? Grace Kelly. How about the next picture? Jacqueline Kennedy. How about the next picture? Princess Diana. Kate Middleton. How about the next picture? That's my bride. Leave that picture up there. That will give me inspiration for preaching today. I didn't ask her permission to do this. Because I've learned that asking forgiveness is easier than asking permission. And I also covered my bases because I don't have to depend on her for Sunday dinner. We're going to my son's house, and they already have food. So I covered my bases before that picture went up. Thank you, media, for those pictures. Over the years, I've had the privilege, in my 30-some years of ministry, I've had the privilege of conducting a lot of premarital counseling sessions. One of the things that I say to the couple is this, there's nothing more exciting than for a man and woman who knows in their heart that God has put them together to join themselves in holy matrimony before God and family and friends. I always enjoy being a part of that wedding. 
And I'm reminded of, of the weddings. We do the rehearsals usually on Friday. And I'm reminded that on the day of the wedding, usually the minister and the groom and the attendants are back there. And we walk out to the music. And usually this is my spot somewhere in the middle. And the groom is standing here. And invariably, when I'm watching the groom, he has his eye on those back doors. And then that music stops, and all of a sudden, whatever music they chose, but here comes the bride. The doors open, and the bride begins to come down the aisle. And this big grin goes on his face because it's his bride. And she is beautiful. And he's waited. And he's waited. And he's excited that the bride is coming. And she's not coming in her blue jeans and cutoffs and sweatshirts. She's coming in this beautiful, white, spotless gown. Now, most grooms are probably not like I was. I know there have been times, in fact, this coming March will be 43 years that my beautiful bride and I have been married. And I knew from the beginning that somewhere in life, somewhere in marriage, I would embarrass her. I didn't know it would be at the ceremony. But just before I was ready to go out, I think it was your mother, had sent in this box, and in the box was this was this, uh, I call it a garter that has a ball and chain on it. You're supposed to put it on your shirt sleeve, and then after the wedding, you take your, your tuxedo off, and the groom has got this garter on with a ball and chain. And it's just kind of a cute thing. I wasn't really up on protocol. I, I didn't know what to do, so I put it over my tuxedo. So I'm standing here waiting for my beautiful bride to come down the aisle with a big smile on my face. And here comes Barb. And she starts out this way, and she catches it. And she tries to keep smiling. But inside, she's saying, I will kill him. I will kill him. I will, I will kill him. So, I didn't know any different, but I can tell you this, there's nothing more exciting when the bride meets the groom. And when we look at this concept in describing the church as we know it, we can use several phrases. We can call it the body of Christ, we can call it the bride of Christ. We can call it the community of faith. We can call it God's household. And, and even though all of these descriptions apply, we are still left with two questions. Who is the church? And what is the purpose of the church? And when we look at those questions that are presented to us today, in the epic sermon series that, that we're, we're trying to describe how that God in His infinite wisdom is expressing His desire for us to love Him and to love others. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35 
is a scripture that, that we've given you for this particular point in our message. You see, the message of the bride and the bridegroom was established in the Old Testament. And there, there's, there's way too much to get in this morning to help you understand, but I would encourage you to, at some point, go and just simply Google Bride of Christ, and it will pull up for you information and resources that you can study on, because I'm, I'm, I believe I'm safe in saying this morning that probably 90% of those in the sound of my voice today do not understand the Bride of Christ. Some of us think we're already married. Not true. The marriage of the bride and bridegroom will take place in the age to come. Right now, we are betrothed. We are engaged. It is our intent. Some people have an understanding that because that I'm the bride of Christ and because Jesus is the groom, then they, they think, well, I'm going to have a, a date night with Jesus. That's not what it talks about. I'm going to feel the, the kiss of God. That's not what it's referring to. And then you've got those who are so gender specific that the men are sitting there and saying, well, I don't want to be called the bride of Christ because that will emasculate me. That will, that will turn me and, and cause me to become effeminate. See, those are all wrong thinkings regarding the bride of Christ, and, and, and I don't have time to cover all of that this morning, but I encourage you to check that out, because there is a day coming when God is going to say to his son, son, I have provided a bride for you, now it is time to go get your bride. And it is an exciting time for us. But until that day comes, what do we do? You see, in the Old Testament, in the typology, there are four women that represented the bride of Christ. First, there was Eve, because she was a woman that was relating to God in intimacy without shame. The bride. Then there was Rebecca. Rebecca was a bride of extravagant obedience, type of bride. There was Ruth. Ruth was exalted and delivered from hopelessness. That's where you and I are at. We know that we don't have to live in this state of hopelessness because we know that one of these days our groom is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And he's coming for his bride. So we no longer live in a condition of hopelessness. We live in that hope of the death and the resurrection and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then there is Esther. Esther, the typology is reigning with authority and triumphing over the enemy. In the New Testament, Jesus mentions the bridal relationship about three times in the New Testament, but only from a perspective of the bridegroom. Now, before we move in and transition, let me just kind of give you something to chew on this morning. What is the message of the bride? What is God trying to say that, that you and I, being the bride of Christ, what is he trying to say? How is he trying to connect us in this concept? The message of the bride is this. 
It is demonstrated with a wholehearted love and total abandonment. The bride of Christ is a message of leaving it all. See, that's totally opposite of what the world's message is. The world's message is get it all and hold on to it all and storage it all and collect it all and everything that we can. And the message of the bride is leave it all. When we come to Jesus, we come and we give of ourselves. We lay it at his feet. That's total abandonment. The message of the bride is that this is a position of privilege. I counted it a privilege. And I will be the first to say that when I married my beautiful wife, I got the better end of the deal. She got stuck with me. I got blessed with her. Now, Barb has done a tremendous job in getting me changed in these last 42 years. She's still working on my past tenses. Have, had, did, done, was, is. Still, she's working on that. But when I, we came together, and I knew that my bride was going to be not one of these well, well, honey, I will marry you, and six months, if it doesn't work out, we can split because that's what everybody else is doing. Well, we're going to get married, but if we just don't think that we're compatible, uh, we're going to go our separate ways because they did, and she did, and he did, and everybody's doing it. So, no, we understood for better or for worse, for rich or for poor, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. The interesting thing about the body of Christ and the bride of Christ is not only richer, poor, sickness, and in health, better or worse, but there is no till death do us part because when we are absent from this body, we are alive in Jesus Christ, and our relationship with the groom is an eternal relationship. That's exciting. That's the message of the bride. It's a position of intimacy. It's when you are married long enough that you can share your love between bride and groom. You can share your secrets between the bride and groom. See, God has many secrets he wants to share with you and I. God has so much love that he wants to share with you and I. It's a position of intimacy because it also includes commitment. And not only commitment, but, but you become partners. And Barbara and I have understood this and we've practiced this. In fact, I've told her this many times. Maybe it's just because of the length of time that we've been together. But when I have an event at the church... And she is either not a part of the event or she's out of town or, or health reasons not able to be here. When I am in this building, I sense when she's not here. And even though it may not have anything to do with what I'm doing, on Wednesday nights I teach uh, up in uh, rooms 201 and 202. And Barb's down in the nursery. We're really not connected in what we're doing, but there's something that creates a sense of, okay, it's complete because 
my wife is here in the building with me. Say, Pastor Don, how do you, how do you develop that? Well, that's the key. You develop it. See, it just doesn't come natural, and it doesn't come automatic. It's a partnership, and this is what God's trying to get across. He's saying, here, Jesus is the groom, and we're the bride of Christ, and he wants us to be, you, you know, we're not working for Jesus. We're working with Jesus. And, and when we develop that partnership, we develop that relationship, that's what the bride is all about. So, in our transition, I say this. We see the truth of identity by understanding Jesus' identity. If we understand Jesus as the groom, we will understand our identity as the bride. And maybe a different way of putting it, we are who we are because he is who he is. Now, the scripture that I wanted to uh, show you this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 19. Let's take a look at it. Now, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As the bride of Christ, God has equipped us, and God has gifted us, and God has enabled us. Because I have to tell you this morning, it's my conviction, it's my opinion, and it's supported by the Word of God. If you have been with this body of believers five weeks or 50 years, God has a function for you. The sad part of it is that there are people who will come and attend for 10, 15, 20 years and never find their place in the body of Christ. And when we think of this, you say, but Pastor Don, how do I know? Well, quick promo. Pastor John has just started his shape class. It started today. It's not too late. If you're looking to find out where your function is, where your gifting is, see Pastor John and connect with that shape class because that will help you understand your part in the body of Christ. See, there are no parts that we cut out and we throw away. There are no parts that we toss into the garbage because God said, this is my body and I'm creating it and I have a function for every part. And when we understand that, we will understand as the bride of Christ, God has something for me to do. So what must we do to get ready for the groom? I don't have time to go into a lot of this, but I just want to say to you, not to scare you or frighten you, but I want to say to you, if you are here this morning 
with a mindset that one time I I repeated the sinner's prayer and I'm good to go. Please, please check back in with God and see what he has to say. There are scriptures throughout scripture throughout scripture that helps us to understand that it isn't a one-time experience. It isn't a one-time baptism. It's a relationship. And I believe that in the days that we're living in, the end times, and I believe that we're living in the end times, and I know that, that they preached it in the Old Testament. I know that they preached it in the New Testament. I know that my great-grandmother believed it, and my grandmother believed it, and my mother believed it. And, and I remember so much my, my uh, father-in-law, Barb's dad, before he ever passed, He was confident. In fact, he would almost put anything that he had on the fact that Jesus was coming back before he died. And that didn't take place. Dad passed, and Jesus still hasn't come back. You just say, well, Pastor Don, if all these people were thinking it and it has never happened, then I guess I've got generations to go. There is no promise of tomorrow. When I look at Scripture and I understand Scripture, everything that needs to be fulfilled has been fulfilled. You and I are living on borrowed time. We are the bride of Christ. We have to understand that it's our responsibility to get ready for the groom. And when we look at this, what must we do as the bride to get ready? I remember I was so blessed, not only with this beautiful lady that became a part of my life. But I was so blessed, and, and I'm, I know I'm bragging a little bit, and I don't do this very often, so indulge me. God has given to me a lady, a wife, a friend, that he is so gifted and so talented that I don't know that there's anything that, well, no, she can't beat me in basketball. There are some things she can't do, and I can take her on a racquetball court. Hands down. But while we were planning to get married, I was in the Army for two years and Barb was working. Now, some of you are old enough to remember what is called a hope chest. It's a hope chest. It's usually, it was a, usually a cedar-lined chest, and the girls would collect things that they wanted to be a part of their married life. And guys, I got to tell you, I was the luckiest guy on the face of the earth. When I got out of the army, my wife already had purchased her china. She already purchased her crystal. She already had purchased her linens. That is the bedding and wash rags and towels. She had already made her pots and pans. All of those things she had been gathering because she knew her groom was going to be home pretty soon. And she knew there was going to be a wedding. And she planned, and and even as gifted as she was, not the gown that you saw, but Barbara was sewing, going to sew her own wedding gown. And something happened, I don't know what it was, but she went to another one. But in her heart, she was preparing these things because she knew that her groom Her perspective, her future, her soon-to-be groom was coming home, and I have to be ready. 
and the planning and the planning. And ladies, you know what that's like. The planning and the planning and the planning. And, and, and the guys, you know, we think, well, we ask her to marry us. It's about all the planning I need to do. But ladies, you understand, as a bride, how much planning it took to get ready. So what, what does that leave us with this morning? In your handouts, I've given you some things to, to take a look at. Christian identity is inherently communal. Followers of Jesus are the family of God, brothers and sisters one another. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 and 15 gives you that information. By definition, a Christian community is a family formed around Jesus. It is a family that has a certain look. It is a family that demonstrates love, extends forgiveness, and offers encouragement. People, catch this, people looking on from the outside must see a family resemblance. Have you ever encountered some of those families? I mean, you, you can see their kid, their son, their daughter, their aunt, their uncle, you can, and, and you'll say, and I'm trying to think, so I'll just use my name because I don't want to offend anybody. You'll see them and say, you got to be a fisher. Yeah. And you'll be in the course of your activities throughout the week and months, and you'll see somebody and come across them at, at, the, at the store, and you'll say, you got to be a fisher. Yeah. Why is that? Because there's a family resemblance. When people are looking at Erie first from the outside, do they see a family resemblance? Do they see a likeness? Do they see a camaraderie? Do they see a connectedness? Do they see a commitment? Do they see an investment? Do they see this love that is shed abroad and say, you've got to be, maybe not from Erie first, but somehow you've got to be connected to a church. Because the body of Christ, the, the bride of Christ, is bigger than Erie first. But something about your demeanor and your behavior and your words and your actions, somebody from the outside will look and say, I guess they got to be a Christian. they got to be a follower of Jesus because I see a resemblance that's going on. You see, there's family ties that bind and what does that mean for us? Very simple. These are very basic things. But I've taken you from the explanation of the bride of Christ, and I've given you that whole concept of what it means, and we've transitioned to you and I are all parts of the body of Christ. But I want now, and I know they thought I missed my cue, but I changed my timing. I want you to see another bride. So I want you to watch the screen, and I want to show you the picture of another bride. That's the bride. What you saw is the picture of the bride. Me, you, 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 you. Why are we here? What's the purpose? What do we do as a bride to get ready? 
I think that very quickly we understand that the bride exists to worship, which is what we did this morning. The bride, in preparation for the groom, exists to work, to be involved, to be connected. Can I tell you this morning, and this is just, this is not carnal, it's not flesh, it's just, it's just observation, that we should never, never have a shortage of volunteers in this church. Because the bride is getting ready for the groom. I believe that the bride exists to encourage one another. The bride exists to accept. Pastor said this last week. They were included because they were excluded. Those who others exclude, the body of Christ will include and will embrace and will take them in. But friends, here's the thing. Community at arm's length is not enough. Community at arm's length is not enough. Community lived out will always connect us together. Community lived out will always connect us together. And being connected to the community of faith is not the same as being committed and invested in the community of faith. Now, I'm going to admit to you that, that I have to be very, very careful, and I have to choose my words carefully because I'm coming. Remember I talked about paradigm? I'm coming from a total different perspective than what most of us in this building are coming from. Because, you see, I grew up in church. I cut my teeth on the backs of the pews. I took my Sunday evening naps under the pews of the church. And if we weren't having church at our church, my mother would find some place in town that was having church, and we'd go there to have church. And it didn't matter if it was African-American, if it was Hispanic, if it was Anglo. It didn't matter if it was a church and the doors were open. We were there. And I grew up in that church. I grew up and accepted the call of God on my life to enter into ministry, entering into uh, Central Bible College, getting married. Barbara felt that strong call. Even before she had met me, she just knew that God's plan for her life was to be in ministry and to be a part of pastor's life. And so from our years of 19, March 1970, when we began as a married couple, church is all that we've ever known. It's been our love, it's been our passion, it's been our heart. And I don't come to this building on Tuesday morning, Monday's my day off, I don't come to this building on Tuesday morning to pick up a paycheck. I come because I love to be here. And I've said it before, there's no other place besides my home that I would rather spend time than in the house of God. But you see, that's me, and that's, that's my passion, and that's what's been a part of my life and part of my DNA. And I understand that not everybody shares that, but all I'm saying to you is this. Catch something. You may not be as passionate, but catch something that God has called you to do because we are working together, worshiping together, encouraging together, and being acceptance, being accepting. We love the church. Why do we love the bride? Why do we love the church? We love the bride because Christ loves the bride. We love the bride because the bride is part of God's family. We love the bride because of strong relationships. 
As I mentioned to you earlier, I, I love being married to my wife. I love especially after we became empty nesters. But I got to tell you this, one of the smartest things we ever did before we started having children is we basically waited four years. And why was that? Because we wanted to get to know each other as husband and wife before we had to learn how to be mom and dad. And that's one of the biggest mistakes with couples today is they start off having to learn how to be husband and wife and be mom and dad. And because the child cries louder than the husband, it ends up learning how to be mom and dad and never learning how to be husband and wife. And then scratching your head wondering what in the world is going on in our relationship, it's because you've never taken time to learn how to be together. And Barbara and I had those four years, and, and a great four years. We, we'd, we'd, get, we'd sleep in as late as we wanted, stay up. How many remember Mannix and Barnaby Jones? Man, Mannix, Barnaby Jones, a big bag of potato chips and a quart of dip and a whole bottle of Pepsi, and we were having a party. No crying, no warming up bottles, no changing diapers, just partying all night long. If we wanted to get up somewhere and go, we would go. So when, I don't, I, I don't know why I'm saying this, it wasn't in my notes, but I think it's for somebody's benefit. When our first child came along and demanded the time from my wife as the husband, I never felt cheated. I never felt second rate because I had given to Barb and Barb had given to me her, our undevoted, undivided attention for four years. So when our children came along, it wasn't an interruption. It was a blessing. But we've experienced this, that we love to be together. We love to watch TV together. We love to go on vacations together. And, and whatever we're doing in ministry, it's great to be together because that's, that's what it's all about, relationships. And we love the bride because it impacts the community. Serve Erie impacts the community. Prison ministry impacts the community. Food pantry impacts the community. Royal Family Kids Camp impacts the community. Blankets at Christmas time impact the community. That's the bride. So I leave you with this this morning. When we came to Christ, just as the bride and groom who stood at the altar, we entered into a covenant relationship. Covenant, covenant, covenant. Not I will until it doesn't work out, or I do until I decide to do something else. We have entered into a covenant relationship, and one day soon, God will say to his son, go get your bride. The question before the house today is this, will we be ready? Will we be ready? Would you stand with me this morning? Heavenly Father, as you've given us this privilege to share your word, and for many of us in this building today, you have given us a whole new paradigm, a whole new lens to look at the church as we know it through the lens of the bride of Christ. And Father, I thank you today for Erie First Assembly. I thank you today for those who have come and become connected and committed and invested but, Father, we have a long ways to go. 
And I pray today that something that has been said, not out of my personality, but by the presence and power of your Holy Spirit, something has been, has been placed in our heart and in our mind to help us to understand this message of the bride is important. It's a position of privilege. It's a position of intimacy. God, it's a place where you want to tell us and show us how much you love us. It's a place where you want to share some secrets with us. It's a place that, that you want to help us to understand what commitment is all about. And Father, I pray this morning that in our heart of hearts that should, should today be the day when you say to your son, son, go get your bride. I pray that we will be found ready. Now, Father, I pray today for each one of my friends in this building. God, give us a great week. Give us a week that we can share your love and share your word. I pray for protection. I pray for health and for strength. Father, we pray for Pastor and Pam these next few days if they've gotten away just to kind of share some time together. I pray for their protection and safety. So, Father, we commit this message to you. We commit this day to you, and we give you thanks in your name. Amen. Have a blessed day, and God bless you.